piece here for a while. This is part eight, and we've been looking at what does the Bible say about peace? What's the difference between our ideas of what makes peace and what is the Bible teaching on peace? And of course, the biggest thing that we drew out of this was the fact that biblically peace has nothing to do with, with the sense of tranquility and calmness, that peace has to do with everything being complete and put together, uh, a sense of finishedness and, and wholeness that is peace. And of course, that can lead to a, a sense of, of, of emotional peace, but it may not in this day and age because we do not live in peaceful times. And so we've been looking through and looking at why we don't have peace and, and why God offers peace. And we've seen that God routinely and repeatedly offers peace. He's trying to put things together, but we want to have things our own way and we get very caught up in our own desires and what makes us happy and what makes us comfortable and, and, and trying to just order our world in the way that we want our world to be. And in doing that, we actually destroy peace because we do our own thing. We saw that with Adam and Eve in the garden and just carrying on until then. We saw Jesus promised as the Messiah to come and, and bring things together, and yet Israel rejected him, and the world rejected him as, hey, we're going to do things our way. And so we've just looked at that struggle. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at then what are the practical teachings of really letting Christ bring peace to us and accepting his way over ours. And we've seen some very practical teaching in the last couple of weeks from the scripture. Uh, the big one last week was the, the role of gentleness. That part of peace is gentleness and a different demeanor and behavior on our part. And as we get into First Peter here, uh, for our final time, we're really going to see again Peter being very, very practical about what peace means for us on a day-to-day real-life basis. Now, as we dive into 1 Peter, we need to just get a little bit of context of what is happening as Peter is writing to Christians here. Because when the, when the Jesus movement started, of course, Jesus came and he, he you know, was in the temple and in the synagogue and all that. So they began to understand, oh, this is the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah. So people who were, they were Jews, they were following the way of the Torah, the way of the Bible, uh, following Judaism, which was their understanding of being God's chosen people, waiting for the Messiah. And a group of them realized, oh, here he is. He's Messiah. This is Jesus. He is Messiah. And so a people began to follow him. But of course, a lot of other people didn't believe he was Messiah. And that's part of what got him killed. Because they're like, you, you're not Messiah. And how dare you claim to be? And he was executed. But rising again, even, though, even his own disciples, who at first had begun to doubt him when he died, because that was weird, but then he rose again, and they saw him, and they went, oh, okay, now we get it. And so the movement spread as they began to understand that Jesus was Messiah. And, but as people were following the Messiah, Jesus, the, the leaders of Judaism still were rejecting Jesus' Messiah. This is a false teaching. So as the church got going... They were being attacked by the Jewish religious leaders as being heretical because you're following that guy we killed who was a false teacher. But they're like, no, he's not a false teacher. He's the Messiah. He's the whole purpose of everything we believe. So the church got persecuted by religious authorities who went around. But of course, the religious authorities didn't have political power. So the worst they could do is kind of exclude you from Jewish society but they, they did get attacked. Paul was actually 
killing people as Saul, um, using his religious authority. But as the movement grew, it began to attract Gentiles as more and more people were getting the news of the Messiah and understanding the grace and mercy that had been offered through Messiah. And so now it began to grow as a church that wasn't just Jews, it was also Gentiles. It began to spread through the empire, especially because of the work of Paul. And so now the Roman officials begin to notice it. And they've never been real fond of the Jews anyway because they, you know, the Middle East was always kind of torn up and the Jews were always rebelling because they didn't want to be under Roman rule. So they weren't real favorable to these guys anyway. And now there's this group of them that are now proclaiming this new Messiah and they're not very loyal to the empire because as part of the empire, by this point, the, em the emperor was no longer just considered the head of state. He was also considered semi-deity. And so part of the operation of the state was worship of the emperor. So if you wanted to sign up to, to join the military, for instance, you didn't just pledge allegiance to the Roman Empire. You had to do an offering to the emperor. A little, and it was usually just like a pinch, like take a little bit of salt and poof. And it was just symbolic. They didn't even care if you meant it. But you were just supposed to kind of declare your allegiance to the emperor through a little act of worship. They didn't care who else you worshipped. You could worship Zeus. You could worship Yahweh. You could worship whoever you wanted as long as you did your little hat tip to the emperor as the head of the emperor. But the Christians said, no, we can't worship any other god, so we're not going to do that. So they didn't join the military. They didn't serve in most public office because everything required that little hat tip to the emperor and they wouldn't do it. So the empire begins to see them as the enemy because you're not loyal. You're part of the problem. And so persecution begins to arise politically. And by the time Peter is writing, the emperor is now Nero. And Nero, in working to try to keep the empire together, wants a good common enemy that everyone can hate together. Who better than these Christians who we're not convinced they are really that patriotic anyway. And so Christians made convenient scapegoats for him to rally the troops. And so he's feeding them to lions and lighting them on fire. In the middle of this, you have Peter. Now remember, Peter... Peter's the loudmouth. Peter's the guy who is impetuous. Peter's the guy who's itching for a fight. Peter's the one who, all the time on Jesus, he's always the one that was like, yeah, ha, ha, let's go. You know, he told Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'll even be willing to die for you. The night they arrested Jesus, Peter's out there with the sword, swinging it around really badly. Whoops, sorry about that ear thing. Whoops, sorry. This is Peter. But then he's also the one that then when Jesus got arrested and everything fell apart. He's like, Jesus who? I don't remember anybody named Jesus. No, no, no. I'm just here to renew my driver's license. I have no idea what's going on. But this is Peter. And now, as the empire is attacking the church and killing Christians, Peter writes this letter. And he talks about peace. And listen to what he says, because we need to hear what he's saying in the midst of understanding these people were under pressure. These people were under both religious and political persecution. So let's pick up 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. He's been talking about different relationships. And he says, to sum up, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, 
kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. To sum up, think about this list. Just We could, we could do the whole sermon on verse 8. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. These are all things that bring people together. Don't tear people apart. You have never started a fight with these things. You did not walk into the post office, end up in a discussion with someone, and you were so harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble that somebody got mad at you. It's not how that works. These are all traits that bring peace. These are not aggressive traits. He says, this is how you are. This is how you should be. These are things that bring people together. And we could stop there, and that would be challenging. That would be, okay, all right, all right. Harmonious, sympathetic, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. But, you know, all right, maybe we can do that. But he's not done. Verse 9, continuing his list, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And he makes this statement, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. He says, now, when you face evil, and they're facing evil, including being killed for no good reason, he says, and in response to that, you're not just going to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, but you're not going to return evil for evil that you receive. You're not going to return an insult for the insult you received. Now, we could stop there and be comfortable, at least slightly less uncomfortable, because we know better. All right, when somebody calls me a name, I shouldn't call them a name back. If somebody's a jerk, what do I do? Bite your tongue. And if that was all he said, again, we'd struggle, but we could get there. All right, so just smile and walk away. Smile and walk away. But he didn't say that. He said more. He doesn't just say, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. So he doesn't just say, don't insult them back. He says, bless them. And so it's not merely refusing evil, but refuting it by being actively good. So this isn't just that when somebody's a jerk to me, I just manage not to be a jerk back and just shut my mouth. No, I am actively nice to them. I actively bless them. As the scripture says elsewhere, not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. He says, this is the purpose. This is who you're supposed to be so that you would inherit a blessing. And so your response is proactive, not merely inactive. Of, All right, I just, I need not get mad. Oh, you, bless them. But they're feeding us to lions. Bless them. They're lighting us on fire. Give them a blessing. 4, verse 10. The one who desires life to love 
and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He says you need to pursue peace. Pursue peace. Verse 11, seek peace and pursue it. And he says you do that by watching your mouth. Watch your lips. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. He says watch your mouth. Pursue peace. Seek and pursue peace. I I love that. It's, It's just not pursue peace. It's seek peace and pursue it. You're really working hard to find peace here. Now, this brings, up an, this brings up a problem. If you've thought through this, and people have, this raises a problem. A, a, a political figure the other day who was speaking to Christians or people who claim Christ on the right hand of things in this country stated that Christians need to not follow all of Jesus' words because some of them really aren't helpful right now, like that whole turn the other cheek thing. He said, that's not something we should be doing right now. Because why? Because the question is, if we were to do this stuff, oops, sorry, I'm behind on my notes. If you were to do this stuff, will this response to evil put us at a disadvantage? If someone is being aggressive, being a jerk, being unreasonable, being unfair, and instead of fighting back, you give them a blessing... Instead of being aggressive, you are harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Won't that, I mean, won't that put you at a disadvantage? And the answer is, whoop, and the answer, yeah, in one sense, sure will. Of course it will. I mean, that was the whole problem with Jesus, Right? That's why Peter was like, why isn't he fighting back? If you don't fight back, they're going to kill you. You can't let that happen. That's wrong. Uh Uh-huh. It was wrong. That's why Peter's waving a sword around. Because if we respond to evil like this, and evil's going to get away with it, and we might suffer. And that's why he says, look what he says. Peter understands that because he's in a culture where that's happening. Verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? If I'm living in Peter's time and I read that, I say, Peter, uh, let me t- I'll tell you who is to harm me. Nero. But that's not Peter's point when he says, who is there to harm you? Because notice what he says, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled but sanctify christ as lord in your hearts and sanctify christ means to set jesus apart in you it means to center yourself around him who he is and his death on the cross and his life he says so yeah even if you suffer. Why? Because you're likely to. Because it's, this is going to disadvantage you. And it did. 
always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness, there it is again, and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better. Verse 17. For it is better, if the Lord should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And this is his message. He says, you got to be willing to suffer. Not fighting back the way the world fights is going to put you at a disadvantage. But do not fear their intimidation. Why? Because they're intimidating. Do not be troubled. Instead, you have a different response. What is this different response? Your defense is to declare your hope. Sometimes we have lifted verse 15 out, taken it out of the context of 1 Peter 3, and used it, as, we've weaponized it. We've used it as a, as a weapon to always be ready to argue with whoever's ready and have that argument, that killer argument. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say, always be ready to give a killer argument when they attack you. That's not what it says. It says, be ready to suffer. Don't be afraid of them. And when they ask you why you are the way you are, what is the way you're being? What has it just been telling you to do? That you're not returning evil for evil. You don't insult them back. You are being harmonious and kind and gentle. And when you're this way, they're going to go, why are you like that? Why? Because that's different. Because that's not how human beings respond, especially if you're right and being falsely accused. Well, duh. Self-preservation and self-defense is key. That's part of the human condition. You must take care of yourself. And here you're not. And they're going to say, well, why not? And it says, you're going to talk about your hope. And this is what they did. And this is what Christians did again and again. So they're in the Colosseum and there's lions being released and they're going to get killed by the lions. And they stood there and they sang hymns. Why? Because they took this seriously. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Who is there to harm us if we prove zealous for good? Oh, yeah, you've got lions, but we got Jesus. And they died, but they died as martyrs, witnesses to the power of the cross, and they acted like Jesus. And it says, and that's better. It's better. Verse 17, it is better, if God would will it, that you suffer for doing the right thing. You're going to keep your conscience in the midst of being slandered. They're going to say, you're doing the wrong thing. Again, they were saying, 
they, they accused believers of not being loyal, but the believers weren't disloyal. They just wouldn't worship. But they actually were in a, in a time of great in a time of great revolution, when a lot of people were revolutionaries, the Christians were the ones who weren't revolutionary. Yeah, they wouldn't serve in the military, but they also didn't rise up in rebellion. In fact, if you read the historical record, people who lived near Christians went, they're kind of the best neighbors you can get. And it was only when it became political that they attracted attention because they were really actually great citizens. And you look back in the Old Testament, that's what you see. You look at Daniel. Now, Daniel won't worship the king, but he's loyal to the king. And Daniel is a beautiful picture of verse 16. You know, they passed the law, and it was political forces trying to make Daniel look bad, convinced the king to pass a law about prayer. Daniel kept praying anyway, and did it openly. So he got, he was in violation of law, got thrown in the lion's den. Being disloyal, broke the law. And who stayed up all night worrying about what had happened? Not Daniel. He spent the night in the lion's den. His night was fine. Who stayed up all night? Go back and read Daniel. Who stayed up all night? Can't sleep. Stressed out. The king. Because he knew Daniel. And he knew Daniel was loyal. And he felt bad. He goes, oh, this is dumb. Why am I persecuting Daniel? And he ran down to the pit the next morning. Daniel, are you okay? Daniel's like, I'm fine. By the way, read how Daniel greets the king when the king runs down after worrying that Daniel's been torn apart. First words out of Daniel's mouth, oh, king, live forever. He praises the king. Oh, king, live forever. Don't worry about me. We're fine. Those who revile your good behavior will be put to shame. You don't have to put them to shame. They'll go, man, I was a jerk to them, and they were still nice to me. Man, I took advantage of them, and they didn't fight back. You want to rob someone of the joy of being awful? Don't be their victim. You may be a casualty, but you're like, well, I'm not in your hands. I'm in God's. And that's why it says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope in you. How, can, how can you do this? Because it's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about what you can do. It's about what He did, and I'm fine. And you're ready to give a testimony. That's your defense. And that is the key to verse 11 that said, seek peace and pursue it. How do you seek peace and pursue it? To remember that it's better to suffer unfairly. That's awful. We hate this. We're used to suffering fairly, you know. If you're doing 90 on the interstate and you get pulled over, you're like, yeah. I mean, you're not happy you got pulled over, but you deserved it. Like, yeah. But if you didn't deserve it, you're not like, well, hey. you're like, no, hey, did you see the guy going by me? Why are you pulling me over? Because it's not fair. 
And here he says, no, that's better. It's better when you suffer unfairly. And man. But think about that. Let's dig through this and apply it. We can seek and pursue peace because of our hope, which is in Christ, not in ourselves. Our culture wants to focus on wrongs and being wronged. We have a lot of political mail come into our house and in my email box. And I look at some of it. And the one thing that it repeats again and again and again and again and again is who is trying to do me wrong? What they're trying to take away from me. There's all kinds of things they're trying to take away. They're trying to take away my freedom for this, 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 and that. They're trying to take away my faith. They're trying to take away God. They're trying to take away, you name it. And I am told of, and, and you know, this person's trying to take away this and this, take away this, and you're being wronged. You're being wronged. You know what's going on now? Let me tell you about how wrong things are and how wrong these people are. And wrong, 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 wrong. And so you need, you need to fight. You need me to fight for you. And for a small donation, I can do that on your behalf. I'm not, it's not about me. It's about you. But $20 would go a long way. And I'm like, how much did it cost you to send this to me? But they want me to focus on being wrong and how wrong this world is, which, by the way, they're not wrong. But Jesus says, take it. What? In fact, don't just take it, but especially if it's unfair. What? If it's unfair, I shouldn't have to take that. We don't deserve that. But it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for what doing what is wrong. And if that doesn't turn all of our earthly thinking on our heads, nothing will. Because we are prepared to suffer for being wrong, but we do not think it's better to suffer for doing right. But that's the path of peace. Unfair, unjust, evil treatment answered with peace. And that's what Jesus did, right? omnipotent, all-powerful God, and they arrest him, and he does nothing. He did not revile in return. They yelled insults at him. They called him names. They mocked him. And they tortured and killed him, and he just And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. That one still fries me. That, yeah, they did. He didn't get crucified by accident. 
We don't overcome the world by a greater war, but by a greater good. And that's what he's teaching here. That we pursue peace by not being the way the whole world is, the way we come, what comes naturally to us. I watched a, a, a YouTube video last night. I, there's this uh, theater troupe on the BBC called the, the uh, I think it's Cornley Dramatic, Drama Society, whatever. They do a thing called the, goes, the, the play that goes wrong. And they had a, a little show on the TV for a while called The Goes Wrong Show. And what they do is they stage a play and then things keep going wrong. The set collapses, things break, people forget their lines. And it's, I get laughing so hard I'm crying. So I watched their, one of their most recent ones on YouTube. And they're doing a, they're doing a, they're doing a nativity. If you get offended easily, don't watch it. So they're trying to do this nativity. So there's a guy playing the piano, playing a beautiful Christmas hymn, whatever, and the piano ignited. Candle fell over. The, the, candle, the piano gets on fire. And they're trying to keep going while trying to put out the fire, and they're not succeeding. And at one point, one of the actors runs over with a blowtorch, lit blowtorch, and is using the blowtorch on the fire. And the guy who's still trying to play the piano while getting his actors to put the fire out, says, what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm fighting fire with fire. But that's what this is talking about. Don't, you don't overcome evil with more evil. You don't overcome anger with greater anger. You don't overcome division with more division. Do not be overcome by evil. If people are insulting you, you don't answer them with an insult right back. Yeah, well, you're... So you're going to be different. You're going to answer with peace. You're going to answer with gentleness, with harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. And when they ask you what is wrong with you, you're going to explain the hope in you with gentleness and reverence. You're not going to argue them into the ground. You're going to explain with gentleness that your hope is in Christ. That's why you can endure. That's why you don't fight back the way everybody fights back. That's why your biggest concern isn't you. Even at the risk of your own preservation. Because, well, what are you going to do to me? I'm fine. The worst you can do is put me in the arms of my Savior. And that's what you see in the Old Testament, and that's what you saw in the church, and that's Peter was crucified himself, church history says, that Peter himself was executed. So the question to wrap up with for this whole series and for this week, how many conflicts could you personally end by this formula? Conflicts that you are in or are, part, are party to, that you could end by doing this, which is what well, I'm willing to be wrong. Not because I am wrong, but because I'm willing to suffer unfairly. I, I don't need to resolve this in my favor, even though I'm possibly very entitled to be right. Because Jesus was right and we were wrong. And Jesus was like, I am willing to, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. 
He was despised and rejected. He was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement, the punishment for our sin fell upon him by his stripes, by his punishment, we are healed. Jesus is the very picture of he who was right was willing to be declared wrong so that we who were wrong might be declared right. Have this attitude that was also in him that although he existed as God, did not consider that equality something he had to grasp, but emptied himself, was willing to be found in appearance as a man, not a man, just a man, but a servant, an obedient servant, obedient to the point of death, not just any death, but death on a cross. Have this attitude. How many conflicts could you personally end by saying, I don't have to fight you? There's nothing you can take away from me that I can't give you more of because Christ has given me. Let's pray. Father, this is hard teaching. can't imagine this coming out of Peter's mouth or Peter's pen. Peter, who was ready, he thought he was ready to die for you. He wasn't then. He did later. Peter, who had been itching for a fight, telling us to pursue peace, to be gentle, kind. Lord, we live in a world today where everybody's fighting for their peace, fighting for their rights, fighting for their point of view, and they, everybody thinks they're right. And some of them are and some of them aren't. Lord, you came and you were right, righteous and holy, the great and powerful God. Our conflict with you, none of it was your fault, all of it was us, and you came and you are the one who died. And you have now called us to be living representatives of you. And in a world that is so torn apart to be agents of trying to put it back together. Because we're known for our gentleness, our peace, patience, our kindness, goodness, our faithfulness and self-control that are the fruit of your spirit living in us. That we seek harmony and reconciliation. And we do this because our hope is not in earthly justice or getting our way. It's not even in being right. Our hope is in you. We rest secure in your hands, in your arms, in our faith, in your supremacy, your finished work on the cross. And we are surrounded by people who desperately need to know that all the different ways that they're trying to grab power, seize power, hold power, gain power, that they don't need a better strategy or a bigger fighter. They need your forgiveness by the Savior who died so that we might live. May we be proclaimers of that hope 
because they will notice that we're different than the rest of the world. That we don't insult. And we don't return evil for evil. But we bless. They don't deserve these gifts, but none of us do. You did not come and give us these gifts of salvation because we deserve them, because we've been good. But because you are good. And our world does not de deserve our grace and mercy, which is why we call it grace and mercy. And may they see in us something they're not going to see anywhere else. And may they be drawn by the peace that we have and the peace that we offer. In the midst of the storms and in the midst of suffering. May that characterize us as a church here at Beans Corner. May it characterize our marriages, our workspaces, our community involvement. And we'll be ready to explain to everybody who asks why we're able to be this way. By explaining with gentleness and reverence the hope that you have placed in us because of your finished work on the cross. Thank you, Father, for dying for us, for living for us, for rising again, and for bearing with us as we struggle through this, because this is hard. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.